Hello again, and you're very welcome to the Women's Rugby Pod. I'm Johnny Hammond, and as ever, Harlequins and England powerhouse Rachel Burford is alongside. Hi, Johnny. Yes, it's a week's break for the Six Nations and a chance for us to catch up on a very eventful second round. You're right. A very chilly round two with Storm Kiara, Kiora, whatever she was called. Anyway, it was cold, showery, (laughs) snowy, and that lunchtime game in the snow globe, of course. A lot to reflect on. Yes, and I'm leaving you in the cold of our Six Nations prediction race too. So what else? We'll have a very special guest this week, General Manager of the Women's Game at World Rugby. Katie Sadlier joins us to discuss plans for next year's World Cup in New Zealand. England and Saracen's second row, Rosie Galligan, helps us look back on an extraordinary five days in Scotland for the Red Roses. And we hear from the trailblazer and former England captain, Catherine Spencer, she launches her new book, Mudmore Mascara. So tons on the way. First, Berferuni. What are your impressions of the wild and windy week two in the Six Nations? Well, where do we want to start? Well, um, should we should we look chronologically? Should we should we go should we do that with that way this week? Yeah, let's do it that way. So France Friday night in Limoges, forty five ten over the Italians. Yeah, well, really impressive performance from France. Um, unfortunately, and it, you know, disappointing that we didn't see the promise that we kind of hoped for, for from Italy. Um, I think the the result, even though it stands forty five ten, Italy gave them a real run for their money. Um, but I think the differences lied between plenty of opportunities created by um, Italy, but they just couldn't finish them. Um, and what happened in the mistakes that they made, um, France absolutely capitalised on. And actually, Jana Franco, um, she spoke at the end and she said just that. She said, you know, you can't expect to give up the ball um, and to make mistakes against a side as good as France and not be punished for it. So I think that's a real tough one for them to take because they probably would have expected more from themselves. But France... You know, they looked good and they wanted a response on the back of last weekend. Um, and I think, you know, Bourdon and Susan's partnership is just coming along so nicely that they're bringing all their players into play. Um, but you can't not mention uh, Baratin's try, that runaway try at the end of the first half where kind of France are pushing for their fourth try. She just gets a cheeky intercept and does the length. Um, so it was good to see her get on the short score sheet. Yeah, absolutely. That's obviously in light of last year, and of course Italy were victorious over over France. So sort of some some bounce back there, and, and, and reaction. You know, the coach was happy uh, to react to the way they did after that obviously disappointing loss to England in round one at home. So uh, you know, it's a good choice for France. Fulani, Bane, Anari, Sanzus, and a, and a penalty try. So yeah, forty-five ten, good result for France. Puts their uh, their campaign back on track as it were um, Wales against Ireland or Ireland against Wales I should say in Dublin on Saturday 31-12 the, the score um, yeah I'm really pleased with that result for Ireland because you know we've been trying to work off that they sorry have been trying to get back to the recent form that we know that they're capable of um, and they absolutely performed probably the best we've seen them play in a long time. Long time, wasn't um, it? Yeah, 
Very yeah, complete. Yeah, kind of like a complete performance, really. Everything kind of function, the set piece, um, the backs and the forwards linking well together. Just cut some of their interplay, their offloading. Things just stuck for them. You know, often we've spoken about how, you know, they get themselves into really good positions and then can't kind of finish off at the end, you know, just from a simple drop ball or miscommunication. But things work for them. And, and to be fair to them, their conditions got pretty dire in the second half as well. Um, but Wales did come back and it would have been interesting if that weather didn't quite turn like that, if it would have been the same result. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, your, your friend, a lady you know very well, been on the pod a couple of times, setting up, who's I mean, she's just a different level, isn't she? Yeah, she's just she's just a threat with the ball. The thing is, she's very good at um, her acceleration, which makes um, defenders have to commit to her. Um, and then she's very good at getting through the tackle and offloading and then behind. And I think, you know, actually, Senna's been good at that for years, but potentially the players around her haven't read it read it as well, or you know, known or anticipated her as a player, as an attacking threat beforehand, whereas now she's always got somebody off her shoulders because they know that she's able to draw in defenders and float out the back. And, and that is some, sometimes the hardest thing to defend when you when you get in behind the defence and then you're scrambling back and working hard. But you know, if Sene's on fire, everybody else kind of raises their game as well. And she's, she's one of their go-tos. And, and she's, in the last couple of years, her performance has just gone through the roof. It's been really, really great to see. And because I know how hard she works off the pitch. She works incredibly hard on all different aspects, but um, it's great to see it now reflecting on the pitch as well. Yes, I did, just one of the things I think for Ireland, it was just the speed of their ball. It was just so much quicker than I've seen them play with. Is that balls there, gone, 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 and it just didn't allow Wales to get the opportunity to to get themselves set and organised to go and pressure them. Yeah, I mean, sending up, who set up that that try for cleaner Maloney, the uh, the the wash hooker. That's a couple of tries for her now, and and we had our, our weekly uh, Parsons wonder try, didn't we? The uh, the winger yet again. Uh, came up with uh, with a was superb five pointer. Yeah, I mean it's, it's so good for a young player to you know she's equivalent of like a Jess Breach bursting onto the scene and scoring twice for fun and and just having such bravery with everything that she does and it, it you know it's a real boost to have somebody like that in the in the Irish side. And we must just talk about uh, birth the the cold shower situation which uh, was mentioned by one of the Wales players. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like that's kind of taken all the all the media coverage. Um, look, it's not. It's Such not a great shame, there. isn't it? Because it was a great game. Yeah, exactly. The conditions, and I think, Ireland played some really good rugby, and that's those are the headlines. Yeah, and so and so did Wales. They had some really great moments, and I think it's a shame that kind of you know one comment that was not meant to to kind of blow up the way that it has. Um, just kind of, you know, having a chat in relation to, yeah, it's really cold and there was the showers were cold, you know, it was hit by the storm, the club were hugely apologetic. Um, it wasn't, it's not the norm. I've played there, that's never happened before there. So I think, you know, in terms of, you know, we don't want to make this a big thing, we want to focus on the rugby that was played and, and the brilliance of it that it was. Yeah, 100% agree. Um... Whether the, the women should be playing a ground like that or bigger grounds or before the men are that's a completely separate issue. The club 
had storm damage, didn't realise, you know, who tests their showers before the game? Do, do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> um, you just don't, you don't do it. And, uh, yeah, the, unfortunately, it was one of those situations. But, uh, yeah, some of the reaction on Twitter about it was, uh, without reading all the facts, was, 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 was quite extraordinary. The focus should be Ireland's excellent performance, um, two from two, and Wales sort of building, building slowly and steadily as well. So they're moving on to the other game on Saturday slash Monday. Um, yeah, obviously the, the game that Scotland was, was was postponed. Moved to yesterday to to Murrayfield, England, uh, Scotland against England, I should say. Um, yeah, really disappointing for the fans. Quite a late call on that, but so uh, look, safety for 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 not only the fans but staff and players is paramount. So. Don't think anybody's arguing with the with the decision to move it. The conditions weren't particularly uh, much better on, on Monday uh, yesterday for for England's fifty three points to nil victory. But it's some impressive no. stuff in there in the in the snow globe. Yeah, I think they had all the seasons in in one afternoon by the looks of things. Um, when coverage started, it was sunny, and then it was raining, and then it was snowing. <laughs> it was just horrendous conditions to play in. Um, but fair play to both sides that just kept at it. Um, the, a lot of disruption for both teams over the weekend. Change of venue, change of time, all late notice. You know, as much as fans are disappointed that they travelled up, you know the players would be extremely disappointed that they couldn't play that day and also their friends and family would have travelled afar and um, so yeah so it's disappointing on that front and I suspect they left it so late because they were desperate to have play it and they were hoping that you know that potentially the old storm would, would clear off earlier but it didn't um, but I mean the difference for me in terms of that game was just kind of how England just ha- went out with a tempo to play Um where I feel that Scotland really, really struggled was the distribution from the nine. Felt, and I know we saw plenty of mistakes from everybody. We saw the faces on players of how cold it was. So you can only, you know, have empathy of how cold it was out there in terms of being able to play quickly. But the the slowness of the ball from nine to either um, first receiver or to a forward pod was just so slow, and it just allowed England to constantly dominate. Um, Scotland and uh, not really give them any go forward um, I think how Scotland started they would be pleased with you know 30 minutes in and they're only 10 nil down against England was a big big result and some of the tries that they let in were quite soft and they'll probably be quite disappointed you know like that try at the end you know Chloe, Chloe Rowley wanted to play quickly but misjudged the timing of the throw, a quick throw in and then they kicked little hat through in England score and um, so things like that Scotland will be disappointed at but I think they've got a lot in there that they are really really pleased with I think England's forwards put in a massive shift uh, it clearly wasn't a day to, to fling the ball around too much but the likes of I'd love to know the stats for Berner, Sinter, uh, Sarah Burns, sorry, Sarah Hunter, Zoe Allcroft, the carries and the clears that they just put in a shift and yeah, Poppy Cleal seemed to be all over the pitch, getting robbed of a try as well. Um, so, look, fair play considering the conditions that they were in. They, they continued to play and work really hard and they worked hard for all their points. The point I wanted to just pick up on, were a, couple, a couple of things really. One was with, with Scotland was Jay Conkle said to us, didn't you, in their pod last week, they want to become a relentless Scotland side. And I think 53-0, people are going to look at that, oh, that's an absolute drubbing. Bear in mind that's twenty-seven points better than last year. Um, so they, if they keep making those 
those improvements then then in a year two years time they're, they're going to be there or thereabouts and and again we, we spoke to goose didn't we to, to philip doyle the scotland coach and he said against england against france against the big two is about closing the gap and he mentioned that again in the post-match interview closing the gap and when you consider 53 compared to 80 nil over the, the, the last year and this year that that gap is 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 closing it yeah, if you lose that amount of lineouts, it's very difficult to challenge at, at that level, especially if you're playing effectively an amateur squad against a professional squad. Um, there's yeah. some, some easy little fixes in there, and I, and I thought actually, well, I think we both agree, don't we, that, that Scotland are very much on the right path. Yeah, absolutely. And look, they'll take so much from that game. Like I said, there was there was a lot of things in there that just are kind of like minor tweaks here and there that can change a lot. You know, a couple of just soft tries that they gave away. And a big area was their discipline. Right early on, gave England opportunities, possession, build positioning, which just put more pressure on. And a, a relentless team and well-drilled team like England just kind of capitalise on those things. So I think they'll take so much from this game. Um, and you know they are focused on Six Nations but it's very much on what's happening later on this year for them and they'll take a lot from this game um, a lot of positives but also the things that they know that they can tidy up on that will make a difference come September You mentioned a few of the England forwards um, yeah as you say uh, Sarah Hunter the England captain she she dotted one down and she uh, Emily Scott with a couple player of the match McDonald Breach with a couple Abby Dow uh, oh. Wingers are a little bit like uh, strikers in football, aren't they? They they hit rich veins of form. I remember, obviously, dress Jess Breach hit one of those in her first couple of couple of games. As did Abby Dow, in fact. But really good to see her, um, obviously, working on a game really, really hard. But but what a what a score that was for her. Yeah, I think the first and foremost thing that like young girls watching or young boys watching the work rate that she does to get get herself involved in the game she doesn't just stay on her wing she doesn't just wait to be in a set amount of space and then take opportunity she goes looking for it and she come off her wing on the counter kick um a lovely little weighted ball from Emily Scott but just kind of the power the footwork you know her movement through you know there were a lot of defenders that she was avoiding um you know using her arm um to fend off players and, and get on the outside of the arc and i literally as she caught it i said she's going to finish this because she's that type of player when you give her the opportunity she has this sheer determination to to just physically drive herself towards that try line and there's no reason why she can't get there with the amount of power and pace that she has. And I think she's been playing really competently at Wasps, um, and then it's just it's literally just come into her form in an international shirt, and I'm really really pleased for her. Absolutely, yeah, one of those instinctive instinctive players. You, you get the sense she's better when she doesn't think too much uh, about the game. Don't get me wrong, she's a very, <laughs> inte- very intelligent lady doing a degree in engineering or mechanics or something like that. But uh, yeah, an instinctive player. Someone who's right at the top of their game is having, you know, some slightly small season, isn't she? Well, player of the year now, the Red Roses top <laughs> point scorer of all time, Emily Scout. Little chapeau to you. Five, three, nine points now overtaking your good job, Katie uh, Daly McLean. Obviously, lots more points to come from those two, you would hope, from an English point of view in the years to come. I'm Anna Keepless, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Okay, time for our first guest. England and Saracens Lock, Rosie Gallagher, joins us 
on the line to assess the Red Roses' start to their Six Nations title defence now. Uh, good afternoon to you, Rosie. Uh, how are you? How's, how's the leg? How's the ankle? <laughs> Yeah, it's all right, thank you. I'm currently just sitting in bed for the um, 14th day in a row, so um, yeah. <laughs> how's that? <laughs> how's your six-pack coming on? Because that's what you told me you were going to wear. Oh, on. yeah, well, um, yeah, it's um, steady, steady in progress. Um, <laughs> need to start Stop doing that soon, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's all right, it's all going well. So for, the, for those who don't know, uh, injury occurred against uh, Worcester, uh, and then you had a an operation it, it, without sort of turning people off their dinner should they be doing that while listening to the, the pod which is highly unrecommended um, h- how many bits of metal have you got in you now? Uh, so I've got four nice lovely big pins um, a bracket and like a scaffold basically to hold it all together um, so oh yeah my God. not too gory but anyone wants to see the picture it's, all, it's on my Instagram so <laughs> Sarah took a bit of a hammer in that weekend didn't they? Yeah, of injury. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as you guys spoke to um, Marley earlier on last week, she's obviously had surgery, and then Mackenzie Carson, hooker, back row, um, she's also had surgery as well. So, yeah, we had a bit of a battering, but um, it was great to see that, well, great to hear that the girls um, still managed to come away with a promising win, so it's all good. And it, it, it came off the back of, I mean, you sound really, really upbeat, really, really positive, which is, is, is great, great to hear. Because you had a really yeah. rough time over the last few months, haven't you? Uh, I mean, the ankle is just falling on from a fairly serious in, uh, illness over Christmas. Yeah, so um, last season was probably my best season. I got my first England cap and, um, like, one coach's play of the year. And then all of a sudden comes new season and I picked up meningitis um, late September. Um, so I played the first game against Bristol and then I was getting ready to play Richmond and I just all of a sudden came down really ill. Um, so I spent two weeks in hospital there, um, two months recovering, and then I think this is my fourth game back. Um, yeah, I'm now out for the rest of the season. <laughs> I mean, apart from you know, discussing that sort of hospital wear is probably your normal garb uh, nowadays, uh, how, how are you keeping your, yourself occupied? Uh, are, you, are you a podcast, podcast person? Are you a box set? Is it movies? Books. Uh, how, how are you spending yeah, your time? Bit of, bit of everything, really. Um, I'm still studying at St Mary's University in Sickenham. So, well, what are you doing? Um, I, uh, sports management. So I'm currently writing my dissertation for that. Um, so they actually asked me if I wanted an extension. I was like, this is probably the best time for me to <laughs> yeah, actually exactly. get, on, get on with work. So no, thank you. Please don't offer that to me. Um, there might be so guidelines yeah, that you're going to get on your a, education. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, exactly. I think it's always yeah, a, I've had to be yeah. quite um, positive about it and just get on with the things that I can do so yeah getting on with my diss and then um, I actually read a book for the first time in a while the other week oh what um, was it Henry Fraser's A Little Big Thing oh nice um, good book oh really what an incredible book, book. Yeah. yeah and then Johnny yeah. actually said about reading um, Catherine Spencer's book um, the other day so I'll probably probably give that a go um, I don't want to get square eyes watching too many series I've probably been <laughs> about five uh, five series so far so I mean you you are I know it's a, it's a downtime at the moment in terms of injury but you know, we all want to say it and it is true you always come back stronger yeah. and last year was a great season for you making your breakthrough for England players play sorry coaches play at Saracen 
real kind of up and coming. And surely that's where you want to get back to, though. That's kind of, you know, next year, next season, get yourself really fit, strong over the summer to come back and, and try and fight for a place back in the England team. Yeah, no, definitely. I think once once I was on that stretch of coming off the pitch, I was like, right, I know I've done something bad. This season hasn't been the one. Um, and everyone has a season like that. I think I think I felt a bit sorry for myself at first because I was like, I've just come back from meningitis. Yeah. I think the illness is, like the way you handle illness has to be quite different to how you handle injury because it's your actual health rather than it like, being something that you know you can fix. Like, I thought I was fine, but actually it's, my immune system is still definitely recovering um so yeah I think I've just been like you know what this season's done get really fit um and then come come September I'm hoping to be knocking on the doors of um obviously getting a starting shirt back at Saracens which will which will be hard because there's a lot of competition at the minute um but also hopefully again back into the England stuff get my name known again mm. and you're still very much involved though at Saris already aren't you like I saw I think it was a couple of days after it happened you were you were there supporting the players yeah, I mean, I think I think when you get so invested into rugby, it sort of becomes your friendship group, like your way of life in a way. Um, and so, like I, especially when I had meningitis and I couldn't see anyone, I found it really hard, like mentally. Um, just I felt like in a bit of a hole. So knowing that I've still got the ability to go out on my little crutches, I've actually got a little wheelchair as well, which is great. I can I can actually go out and see the girls still, and like they've all been so supportive of coming to see me and stuff like that so yes yeah, I, I want to be there for the girls and they want to be there for me so it's really nice knowing that it's a two-way thing at the minute there may be quite quite a few amateur players out there having long stretches on the sidelines in your experience where you've touched so far as an international player people giving you a little bit of advice you know Marley's got an injury at the moment or Perhaps Sonic, you know, Sonia Green has spoken to you um, and said, you know, why don't you try this? Did it, did it, any little bits of advice which you could sort of pass on to to other players in a similar situation to yourself? I think the one key thing that everyone has said is you'll come so uh, back so much stronger. Oh, um, and already at said the it. time, it's so, um, I know, it's so easy to dismiss that and be like, oh my God, everyone's saying it. Like, I know, I know. Um, but at the same time, like, that little piece of advice is actually so important because, like, I probably will have the next couple of months now literally just focusing on gym um, and being able to do little IDP, IDP things that I probably wouldn't have done beforehand because I would have been doing it in sessions kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, just, like, making sure I actually take on the little the little quotes that you probably dismiss sometimes. And then um, Sonic's been really good. She's had a big injury on her ankles and legs before. So, oh, yeah, uh, having... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's been through a lot as well. So having Sonic text me um, pretty much every other day has been really, really nice to hear. Hey, also, you got like, you coming on the back of that illness and your immune system. Sometimes things happen for a reason and maybe this oh, is like a bit of a break that you needed to kind of regenerate, get yourself really properly done because it's a little bit like concussion you kind of never 100% know do you and it's the hardest thing to kind of rest when you talk about it's your health as opposed to a physical you know break or ligament or something so I think that's like one of the the great things about a lot of top level players is that that's how they see things they see it as an opportunity yeah everybody goes through that feel sorry for yourself there and then you kind of go right now what this one's yeah and I like just seeing like your determination over the last sort of 18 months 
like you've kind of just burst on the scene out of nowhere and to see yeah. your determination at that time like there's no question that you're going to come back stronger and fitter Thank and, you. <laughs> and and sadly if this injury hadn't happened you potentially would have been involved in six nations um I'm sure. Yeah, well, yeah, you never know. Obviously, I I had had a bit of a battering um, over the Christmas period, so I definitely know I wasn't at my fitness. And if anything, I probably I would have understood like why I wouldn't have been called in at all because I I knew that I wasn't at my fitness. But I know a lot of injuries occurred in the run up to it, so I was there was part of me that was like keep going the way I'm going, and maybe and um, towards the end of it I could get back involved. But you know what? Like you said, everything happens for a reason, and somewhere I got a little um cloud tattooed on my um, ankle because I believe in that every cloud is a silver lining oh. um, and the surgeon actually said oh, I'm really sorry I had to cut through your um, cloud tattoo <laughs> <laughs> so um, oh, no. a lightning yeah, strike as well yeah I think for a reason and every cloud will now have a silver lining and a skull all the way through it so yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh and so right let's talk about yesterday then yeah Wow. What did you think of the, the, well, we know the conditions, what they were like, absolutely awful. I mean, what did you, yeah. how did you feel England went with all of that going on as well? Um, I actually thought they did all right for the weather conditions. I think the TV doesn't always show how bad it is until all of a sudden it catches a glimpse and you're like, oh, wow, it actually is very wet and very cold. Um, I thought, obviously, there was a lot of rotation. Um, great to see Zoe having a go at 10. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought the girls did well. I thought there were some standout performances from the likes of Sarah Byrne, um, Abby Dow as well on the wing. I thought she had a stormer. So um, all in all, I think they did the best that they could in in the situation in the environment. Yeah, I mean, horrific conditions. Those are kind of conditions as a, as a second row, uh, which you would love to play in uh, because you get the maximum opportunities to keep warm. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I would have loved the scrums on that day. I remember playing Richmond um, last season, and we were actually praying that there would be a scrum just to try and keep warm. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think the forwards, I think Poppy wrote a tweet or something saying that she was actually probably the warmest on the pitch out there um, compared to when you saw Jess and Abby, and <laughs> you could just see the look of sheer disgust and well, how cold they were. What did you make of some of your Saracens teammates' performances? I thought Poppy had a stormer. Um, she, I thought, yes, so she played very much like Mario Toji around the breakdown and um, always getting a hand on the knife. Oh, she's going to love that. She teed <laughs> <laughs> you up to that. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I think watching Mario obviously on the Saturday and seeing how much he disrupted around that breakdown, um, it obviously does benefit um, and also gets into the ninth head a little bit as well. Yeah, um, she always plays on that line, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes a bit too far, but um, no, I thought she had it well sussed out yesterday. Uh, and then it was obviously really nice seeing Zoe back at 10. Um, I know for her it's probably a little bit frustrating playing at 12 because she, she does love playing at 10. So um, seeing her get the run out there and um, like putting people in space and stuff for some tries was nice to see. And what did you think of Scotland? How do you think Scotland's come on? I do think there is a gap between, um, obviously, how England play and Scotland play. Um, 53 I think of them. that they probably played um, too many phases in some points of the pitch. Um, I think there's a lot of space, actually, at the back, which they probably didn't utilise, but also their key players, um, like Chloe Rowley. I didn't, we didn't really see her as much no. as what I probably would see her at, at Quinn's. Um, she didn't look as threatening um, as she would do at club, potentially, is what I'd say. Um, I don't know if that's because of 
you, obviously you train with your club full time. Um, you see each other a lot more than probably what the Scotland girls do. Um, so I do think it comes down to that exposure to each other. Um, in co- like compared to what the England girls do, I think you guys have a lot more time together and, um, uh, and they can have more time to bust out what they want to do, whereas I don't think Scotland girls at the minute get as much of that. Yeah, I think you're right about the playing in the wrong places and play overplaying. There was something like they were in England's half, like two in the 22, for like two percent of the second half with the wind. Mm-hmm. You just think, you know, some of that game management, game understanding is, is an area for them that they really need to kind of work on. But I think you're you're seeing glimpses of it, and that's probably a key part to the tools Premier Fifteen with some of those players. I think they really miss Lisa Martin, though. Yeah. No, I agree. I think Lisa's a great player. Um, obviously, with Zoe at, playing at 10 now, she has really started to develop at 12. She does offer that. Um, she loves hitting like hitting breakdowns and tackling and stuff. So I think Lisa actually <laughs> probably would have been, been a good option there. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Um, but also the likes of, I think, Jay Conkle. I think her and Sarah Hunt at back and also the flankers really got on turn. So they, they took away her space and obviously she is a key threat for Scotland. So... Um, I think England actually took her out of the game quite well. Yeah, she wasn't able to 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 do her normal bard swimming runs, wasn't she? Yeah, a, a key player in England, as you say, snuffed her snuffed her out to very very effectively. Um, you, you talk about the the, the Tyrrells Premier Fifties there. Uh, just finally, Rosie, before we let you get back to what I, I don't know what's on what's on BBC Two at this time in the afternoon, was it? Really oh, steady, we're not clear about BBC Two. Ah, oh, <laughs> she's a bit younger. Johnny, I'm more of a Netflix. Do you know what that is, Johnny? Netflix. What's Netflix? You two have been very, very unkind to the ages. (laughs) I thought in two world wars for you, youngsters. What was the number? What was the birthday number just gone? What's that? Birthday at the weekend. It was your birthday at the weekend, wasn't it? This is about Rosie, not about me, Bert. Do you want to share the number? Yeah, 27 again. 49 years only. Surely only 35, Johnny. 27 again. Rosie, back to you, sorry. Oh, Rosie, you're going to be on every week now. <laughs> Do excuse my co-host. Um, <laughs> Saracens rearranged game against Richmond this weekend. How do you yeah. see that one going? Um, you coming? Yeah, I'm going to be there. Um, I'm going to go down, get out of the house. Um, it'll be a nice little treat. I was talking to Mackenzie yesterday and she was like, when I go to training, it's a little treat at the minute so we're taking <laughs> everything we can um no i'm going to go down i think hope i don't actually know what the weather is but hopefully it stays nice and dry um so we can see a lot of ball in hand um i don't ever think richmond like richmond will always come at us um as you know there's a bit of a um london rivalry there so um yeah i think it'll be a good game richmond will come out um all guns blazing as they usually do um, and for us, it'll be getting back together for the first time in a while and hopefully putting a nice score on the board. Absolutely. Well, um, look, enjoy watching on if you can, if you're a, if you're a decent spectator. Um, but look, thank you so much for your, your time today. We'll, we'll let you let you go and get your leg back up. Uh, but thank, thank you. you so much for joining us, and we wish you a really speedy recovery. And uh, we look forward to seeing you not only in a Saracen shirt, but uh, hopefully from your point of view, uh, an England shirt very very soon. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Hello, I'm Ollie Phillips, and you are listening to the fantabulous, absolutely wondrous and wonderful Women's Rugby Pod.
Enjoy. In this Six Nations rest week, we thought we'd take the opportunity to take a slightly wider view of the game. And in light of last week's launch of the 2021 World Cup in New Zealand, Berth caught up with World Rugby women's boss Katie Sadlier. Thanks, Katie, for joining us, which is an early morning for you down in New Zealand. How are you? Yeah, it is. I'm good. It's a beautiful day down here. Um, it was um, quite fascinating watching the snow up north. <laughs> what takes you back to your roots, back home to New Zealand then at the moment? Well, it was a really exciting week last week. We um, launched the new brand and dates associated with World Rugby World Cup 2021. So had a big function with um, stakeholders from government and local government, World Rugby and New Zealand Rugby uh, at Eden Park, where we launched um, what's going to happen in 2021. I mean, there's been a pretty good response coming out from the launch. Um, new logo, which obviously has, um, you know, when you look at the logo itself, it clearly has some deep roots from New Zealand itself, being the rugby nation that it is. Can you talk us a little bit behind the new logo and around maybe the new wording? Sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of thought and consideration went into quite a huge consultation process with that logo. Very much um, working with the Maori cultural advisors at New Zealand Rugby as well. Um, the logo uses the World Rugby Shield, which we do for all our pinnacle events, and it brings in um, uh, some cultural significance associated with the land and the waves in New Zealand. So um, we've also really concentrated on linking with some of our other um, campaigns to lift the profile of women in rugby. So if you, if you look at some of the imaging behind it, you know, strong woman presence, but also the unstoppable thing comes through. Um, as to the name change, you know, that was, that was a big decision that World Rugby made uh, a good six months ago in terms of wanting to um, remove uh, perceived biases associated with, with our pinnacle events um, that they are on an equal platform. You know, previously we we called um, the Women's Rugby World Cup the Women's Rugby World Cup, and we had a Men's World Cup, and we dropped the gender classification for our pinnacle events. And that really is all about lifting the profile of women rugby, saying that we're looking at both of these events as as key pinnacle um, events. One's not the most important one, and one's the second most important one. They're both very important to world rugby. I, obviously, I've been involved with some of those decisions and discussions with you and, and World Rugby. It's these kind of things that people don't pick up on, isn't it? And it's it's sometimes the smallest things can make the biggest difference. What do you reckon this is going to have? Do you think this is going to have an impact? I do think it's going to ha have an impact. I mean, you know, we have done some things that have been reasonably disruptive in the last two to three years as we've rolled out a new global strategy. Um, but this, this was really an important thing to do um, in terms of making sure that that you know, we are a sport for all. We're really trying to lift the profile of the women's game. Um, and it, it certainly is not in any way about um, undermining what's happened in the past. But it is about sort of saying, you know, we're very serious about what we're trying to do in terms of um, uh, our support for both pinnacle events. And I always, when people talk to me about it, I say, look, I'm really fortunate. I work for a sport that's got um, a pinnacle event every year. We've got three World Cups, one played by men, one played by women, one played by both in the sevens, and then we have an Olympic. So we're really in a very fortunate level. But we want to make sure that we're pitching and branding and positioning all those events at a, at a similar kind of level. And so this World Cup is is came to going to be the biggest and the best down in New yep. Zealand. Um can you give us a little insight to 
why that might be um, and what plans maybe World Rugby or New Zealand as a country and a hosting nation um, has in place. Yep. I mean, every time you host a World Cup, it's an opportunity to take a next step of, um, you know, next step up. And Ireland did a fantastic job. I'd only been in the role for about six months at the time of the World Cup. So it was a really good exposure for me about what you could do with an event. And at that stage, when you looked at the results that came out from social media, from engagement, from fans, attendance, it was a huge, you know, it's always a huge step up. So New Zealand, it has, it, it has got some challenges in terms of being on the other side of the world, um, from some of our major markets in terms of, of um, rugby and rugby audiences. So there'll be a huge emphasis on making sure that the as-live performances are really stimulating in terms of how we package them and how we make sure that um, the games that are played down here are really accessible around the world. And I think that's one of the big things that we're looking at, um, really stepping up to make sure that the World Cup that takes place in New Zealand um, is able to be seen by more more countries and more people, and so greater exposure by maximizing the the the, the, um, the channels that we have to actually get that out to people. I mean, another another big thing about um, the World Cup being in New Zealand is that it is the first time it's in the Southern Hemisphere, so there's a big sing and a dance about about that. New Zealand is a country that's hosted World Cups before very successfully. Um, the black ferns down here are certainly. Um, on a you know a raised platform i think i think they're up for the halberg awards again this year which is the sport team of the year um so there's a huge interest in the growth of of women's rugby down here um and with a a prime minister uh jacinda hearn who is absolutely passionate about um women's empowerment leadership and sport and she's a big rugby fan um the government is very much behind what's actually happening in terms of women's sport down here why the committees have decided to bring in the quarterfinals and and what was kind of the process behind those decisions the background to that is that every time you've had a, a significant pinnacle event you go through a, a review where you ask the people who participate so surveys went out to all the participating unions to find out how can this event be improved um and so there was a there was a few changes that were made besides the quarterfinals in terms of the tournament now has gone from being a 23-day exercise to a 35-day exercise thinking about player welfare and safety introduced more days in between games you know expanded the number of um of players in the squads and that was all absolutely related to the feedback that we got uh from from players and from management associated with teams around the world introducing the quarterfinals did made sense i mean there had been concerns um in previous previous last two world cups that um that some of the top teams were eliminated too quickly uh and so there was a need to actually have a look at uh, how, what actually happened at the back end of the tournament to make sure that you have absolutely got the best teams um, competing in the finals. But if we can um, maybe just rewind, Katie, to you coming first into post. You mentioned you'd been in six months, just so, what, 2017? So you jump into this job, um, yep. plenty to do. What, what what was on your top of your agenda? If there was like two or three things that you would go, right, I've got to go in, I've got to start here before I think about anything else. One of the first things that became very clear to me was that we had spent a lot of time, or World Rugby had spent uh, quite a considerable time working in the development space, sort of working with some of the unions to actually get their participation programs going. But the big thing to get sustainable change from, from my perspective was that we needed to focus on leadership and the decision making. When I first started at World Rugby, um, we were governed by a council of 30 men, um, and we had a participation rate of 27%. 
participation woman globally. I mean, less in registered numbers, but participation globally. And so that right away became a standout thing. Was we, we needed to, we, if we really were going to make sustainable change, we needed to work with the governance and the senior leadership globally to actually get them to drive that change because it can't just happen from inside inside world rugby. So Bill Beaumont, Sir Bill Beaumont, um, was was a huge um, supporter and acknowledging that we needed to do something. Um, and at the end of my first year, you know, he championed a change at World Rugby Council level to introduce 17 women onto the World Rugby Council. So we went from zero to 35% um, at a governance level and then have been able to... Um, uh, we now have two committees at World Rugby that are 50% men and 50% women. So a dramatic change from where we were. Huge impact um, right away. Huge impact. Just huge. And, and it allowed us to sit down and, and um, um, you know, eyeball maybe isn't the right word, but look at our unions and say, where are you at in terms of your commitment to diversity? And, which is great, good international practice in terms of um, having organizations that represent their stakeholders and that are... Um, certainly making sure that when decisions are, are coming um, up to senior levels that, that that they're being considered by a diverse board. If you want to get sustained change, you need to make sure that you, you have got great practice when it comes to governance and leadership, and that means diversity. Um, so that was a, a, a really key thing. We yeah. launched this year a... We, we came up with a, a new brand, Woman in Rugby, but um, a, a global marketing campaign, Try and Stop Us, Start Rugby, Become Unstoppable. Uh, that campaign has been incredibly successful. It's actually up for a couple of awards um, in industry, global industry awards at the moment. People start talking about um, women's rugby and and what that's done is it's, it's um, you know, it's lifted uh, the conversation into a new level. Um, we had some great influencers who supported that campaign, like Billie Jean King, um, you know, the chief executive of UN Woman, um, presidents from around the world, all and rugby players, of course. You know, really pushing how important it is to actually lift the profile of women in rugby. So, profile and leadership really, really important. We did make the decision um, to unbundle our sponsorship rights at a global level for women's rugby um and we're doing that quite deliberately because we think it's time that the women's product can um create some commercial partners of its own and that will add value in terms of what will happen the flow-on impact for what regions and unions might think about in terms of their commercial strategies but look katie thank you so much for coming on the wrp um, for us this week and um look we will stay in touch because we will definitely want to um dive more into all the good things that you're doing within women's rugby um and like i said we can't thank you enough for everything that you're doing and pushing the boundaries Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I'm Sarah Hunter and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. Last week, Johnny and I were privileged to be invited to the launch of former Red Rose skipper Catherine Spencer's launch of her new book, Mud, Mall and Mascara. We got to sit down with the new author. So here we are, uh, overlooking the Tower of London, yeah. Tower Bridge, with Catherine Spencer, who's just launched her book, Mud, Maul and Mascara. Um, enjoying your evening so far? I am. As you say, yeah, lovely view here in uh, <laughs> in London. It's really, really nice. And yeah, I just had a really nice group of people coming here to support the launch of my book uh, and Johnny and Burford. <laughs> <laughs> How does that feel, like saying my book? Like this, like it's right in front of us. There's a book here with you on the front of it, the title, and then 
former England women's captain, Catherine Spencer in it. Is that mad? Is your book that I have written. <laughs> no ghostwriters. Um, yeah, it was a bit odd. I was on the train this morning coming up and I was, I was reading my book and I was kind of, it's a little bit surreal. And I kind of actually <laughs> wanted to hold it up. I was like, look, people. This is mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm actually, if I don't mind saying it, I'm quite proud of myself. Oh, yeah. you should be. Yeah. I think we all are. I mean, if we rewind to the first, when you started thinking about doing this, to now it actually being published and out there, people can buy it. Like, talk us through a bit of that journey. Yeah, it's been quite a, it's been a little while. I mean, I've, I've when did it all start time. I've always, I wanted to, I like writing. I really like writing. Um, I really enjoy that. Um, and I've always thought, oh, you know, I really want to write a book. You know, lots of people say that. And, oh, what should I write about? Some kind of philosophical thing or something or like fiction, you know, lovely rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was actually, do you know what? You're well experienced. I am, yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, I stand up and talk about my story a lot. I just thought, well, you know what? Why don't I? Why don't I write that? And um, yeah, it started about four years ago, and I, it's been quite a long process because I crowdfunded at the beginning of that for sort of uh, for publishing costs, and then obviously writing it as well with everything else that's going on <laughs> work and <laughs> family life busy. and stuff like that. Um, but I've really, I've really enjoyed it, and I think actually because it has been quite a long process, it feels even more exciting now in a way. Um, talk us through some of the parts in the book. Like, what was some of the really joyous? parts to write and then what are some of the like the really tough chapters that you had to talk about in the book parts of it really tough to talk about because I've talking about my kind of deepest emotions about not winning world cup finals and then the experience and how I felt watching some of my former teammates win the world cup and and wanting desperately hard to be really excited and happy for them but having the emotions over overwhelmingly the other end of you know disappointment and devastation that it didn't happen to me four years ago so it's quite a difficult thing to write but I really it was you know it's a really big part of my story so it had to be in and that's, that's how the book starts it's quite sad in a way <laughs> it was quite hard to write but there are some light, light-hearted sections as well you know a little bit Bridget Jones style in the <laughs> middle talking about my um my uh, my quest for Mr. Right which is quite amusing and uh, my slightly uh, traumatic experience with internet dating <laughs> um you know that ended up with a husband so that's good oh, go. um so it sometimes works um and uh, yeah and talk about different kind of things that are important to me in rugby and um charity where we tag rugby trust it's been a big part of my big part of my life do you realize what you're doing with this book because you're the first female rugby player to write an autobiography so you're an utter trailblazer is that that beginning to sink in um i think so now it's starting to now i'm kind of like i can see the book and it's real and you know people can actually go and buy it and I keep thinking that, you know, for the sport, it's really good. You know, looking at the bigger picture, it's really important that, you know, the development of the game and all these things we talk about. I'm like, oh, actually, no, that, yeah, I've done that. And so I just, I really hope what it does is now set a platform for other female athletes, whether it's from rugby or other sports, to have the confidence to share their stories as well. On that point, you're saying about creating that platform, the response that you've had, did you expect that, you know, all the great social media, that you could, great people talking about the book already that got to have a little sneak peek early? I mean, how's that feel? And, and the fact that you have taken the brave step here, like, were you worried? Were you scared during this? Were you, like, not sure how it was going to turn out? Or were you really confident and like, this is something that I want to pave the way for other people? Yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I was nervous, you know, this is, you know, I've I've spent hours and hours, you know, writing this and it's me, it's me in a book, basically. So 
you know, I was nervous about people's sort of reaction and, you know, what their support to it was going to be like. And, it, you know, it's been absolutely fantastic. You know, actually the people that have come to the launch today has been really, really lovely. And, um, and yeah, a little bit, a little bit emotional, but like it's been, you know, it's been really, really brilliant. And hopefully, you know, people will kind of, um, vote with their wallets and go and buy it as well. <laughs> yeah, well we do hope. I mean, like you, obviously you were reading out a couple of chapters right at the start there and it, it was like it, takes you back and I think Mm. what you're also doing is letting other people athletes or rugby players know that it's okay to feel those emotions and that it is normal like you mentioned um so I think it's fantastic what you've done and and yeah Kent girl proud absolutely yeah (laughs) that's where it all is all all I was going to say was uh, yeah to to leave a to leave a legacy for for your kids so you know next to the complete works of Shakespeare in your bookcase at home yeah. There is your own book. Um, again, just like huge credit to you because, um, yeah, for me, my, my kids are everything. That nothing else really matters. And to be able to to, to have something tangible, like there's mommy's life. Um, that must be wicked. Yeah, my husband actually said to me yesterday. He said, you know, you know, um, May will be able to read this when she's older. And I hadn't really. I know I mentioned her at the end, and it's kind of in a way dedicated to her the book. But I had the thought of her actually been able to grow up and, and watch it you know I started playing before the world of kind of clever internet and YouTube stuff like that so most of my rugby career is on you know VHS or something like that, DVD so probably can't even play that now so but actually what's important is the journey in my rugby career so yeah May will be able to read that and, and sort of have some insight into into what it was like and that kind of made me really pause for a moment and think wow you know actually it doesn't matter if no one actually does but you know if no one buys it but actually, if May can read it, that's that's really important. You're right, Johnny. Your, your children, as I'm learning, are, are just so important. Oh, great stuff! Well, it's it's available, Amazon, Waterstones, all good uh, book bookshops. It's it's been a pleasure to be here tonight. It's been thank a pleasure you. for me personally com- to commentate on you. Uh, pleasure to know you, and um, thank you very much for your time tonight. Thanks so much, both of you, for coming Enjoy. on today. Thank you. Yeah, that's a it's a notion. It's a wonderful notion, isn't it? Um, your captain, your country, load of caps okay and a majority that the book is about that pain of not actually lifting a, a world cup but if you given a great deal to the game personally uh, and professionally on and off the field but to sit there in your bookcase and have a book that you've written yourself there's no ghostwriter entirely her um you're very raw very emotional very honest gritty um i'm not sure she likes the word description of gritty but uh I'm sticking with it for the dictionary definition. But yeah, to pick your own book out of the bookcase for years to come and it's there for your kids, 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 kids. It's uh, That's quite special. Yeah, it's really cool and it's really remarkable. And I think, you know, times like this, and even when we were talking to Spence, we are like, do you understand, like, kind of what the legacy you're, you're leaving and you're going to have forever now? And, and off of pitch kind of thing we know what she's done as a rugby player and as a captain of the country but to have something like that you know and she talks about for her her little girl to be able to read one day and to understand it and and to kind of live back all of the great and wonderful and tough experiences that her mum her mum had so I think it's amazing and um, really really tough for her to to finally get it off the ground you know it's been a long time coming and um, it was all through crowdfunding as you said um, no it's all Spencer's own words and some of the stuff that really grips me is like you know she talks about that sadness and the anger and the bitterness of she wanted to be happy for a beer in 2014 but she struggled with that and just kind of those real raw emotions that so many people feel 
but nobody has the courage or the bravery to actually say that they feel like that. So I'm in awe of her for this book. And yeah, it's a, it's a great book to be reading. So if you haven't yet got it, make sure you pick up a, a copy. Yeah, there's no percentage for your promotional work, I'm afraid. Um, with the thing I was going to say, it, it spoke volumes, didn't it? The, the people that were there, um, the greater good of, of women's rugby, and you know, I humbly include you and I in that, were, were there to, to celebrate what is you know trailblazing stuff that there aren't many women's sporting biographies out there. There's certainly not a, a women's rugby player one out there. Um, she's she's smashing doors down still, Spence. Yeah, and I think you know I think this will be like the platform that then suddenly makes other players come out of the woodwork or current players who are in it to to start thinking about considering doing something like this and, and share their story because so many great stories um, to be told out there and and why not you go and you look on a bookshelf and there's plenty of male players who have shared their story with us and. Um, they um, absolutely have no doubt that there's lots of people that want to know you know the stories of plenty of other players out there so hopefully you know this is the start of many more women writing their own autobiography about their rugby journey on and off the pitch yeah I've got a really really exciting idea I want to discuss with you anyway watch this space Ooh. yeah So that leaves us uh, just the one game to discuss, the uh, rearranged Tyrrells Premier 15s game this Saturday between Richmond and Saracens. And should the result go the way we expect it to, Berth, Saris will go top. Yeah, yeah. with all the will, I don't think Richmond are going to beat Saracens at the weekend. They still got such a good pack and um, Batline without their kind of internationals. Um, also, I think Bryony Clill will hopefully be returning. Um, so, obviously, she's going to bolster that side. But I also believe, hearing some rumours, that you know, there's a few players that have left Richmond um, since all the announcements a few weeks ago. So, I don't, I'm not sure you know, if they've still held on to, to some of their key players or not. Yeah, since we've been a bit of an exodus from uh, from Richmond, but we wish them all the best. So, uh, prediction, need to ask? Sarah's. Sarah's, the reigning champs. No question, yeah. Go top. I think Richmond will cause them some problems, but I think, you know, the, for 80 minutes, they won't be able to, to live with, with Saracens. So, that's uh, just about it uh, from us this week. Thanks so much for joining us. But before we go... Um, Several weeks ago, Berth spoke about uh, donating some boots to the rugby patrons, providing kids with rugby footwear currently playing barefoot. How should people do that, get in contact, donate their boots, basically, Berth? So if you've got any spare boots, old boots, uh, you know, boots in lost property at the club, um, just put them all in a bag together. DM me and I will provide you with um, an address to send to or a collection. We'll, we'll work it out um, and we'll try and get these boots over to Kenya for these kids to, to actually put some shoes on their feet whilst running around playing contact rugby. Um, any donation and learn asking for new boots. They can be in any condition. Um, just, just put them in a bag and look after them until we can collect them or send them out to us. Well, yeah, may as well wait till uh, got quite a few... Uh collected up 
and how the uh, how the camps working out for next week? All, all booked up for next week's Burford Academy camps? Yeah, we've only got a few places wow. left on um, each of the camps. So if you are interested, on Tuesday we're at Ellenham and Ringwood. Wednesday we're at Onley in Milton Keynes. And Thursday we're at Rams, which is in Reading. So if you're keen and interested, visit www.burfordacademy.co.uk. Good to see you there. Perfect. And we didn't mention this last week, but we should have. Jodie Onsley went back to Sydney two years after representing England Deaf Rugby in the World Deaf Rugby event. Only this time she was on the World Sevens Series and what an exciting time for that young lady for the England Women's Sevens team. Yeah, huge congratulations uh, to, to Jodie. Uh, absolutely brilliant to, to see her out in Sydney. Uh, shout out as well to Manchester RFC Women's Section who are holding a fun training session followed by food and a lemonade or two in the bar to watch England against Ireland. The details of that one, Sunday the 23rd of February, if you're age between 6 and 17, turn up at 11 o'clock. There's more information on their socials and the website, including a co-contact number. And Beckinanians, they were celebrating 20 years of their women's section. Uh, They had a tour to Scotland with players past and present and no more can be said about that because what goes on stays on. Absolutely. Good job you know the rules, Johnny. Um, and next week we're going to be back to preview the Six Nations Round 3 with Scotland captain Rachel Malcolm, Ireland's Jenny Murphy and a special Red Rose which is to be confirmed. And we'll also have Wales represented in Lisa Burgess, also known as Bird. Yeah, so thanks for our guests this week. Kate Sadlier. Uh, Rosie Gallagher uh, and as ever to producer Jez subscribe rate get on Insta Twitter let us know your thoughts let us know what your club is up to uh, we'll try as ever to get you on the pod and that's at pod women's rugby that's at pod women's rugby for our Insta and Twitter account enjoy the weekend off for the Six Nations and remember whatever you're doing to support the women's game wherever you are keep it up until next time